If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis 3. And as we continue in our study in Genesis, this is amazing stuff because uh, the story hinges. There's going to be a big turn uh, that we're going to take in Scripture, uh, really in history. Uh, all All of creation turns on this amazing little Genesis 3, it's, it's called the fall. So as you turn with me, let me pray for us. Father God, come. Come and give us your presence in a way that you are here with us and that you and you alone are the teacher. And that you're pleased to speak through a broken sinner like me. Father, we, we've reached a part of the story. I mean, every part of the story is important. It's your story. But, God, it's so important for us to understand who you are and what we have done in your sight. It's so important for us to see how Jesus has fixed everything that we've broken. It's so important for us to understand how you now see us and love us in him. So, God, I pray that you would come. You'd come in a way that you give us ears to hear your voice. And, and God, you'd give us minds to understand your holy and errant word. The Father, you'd give us hearts, hearts that beat for you and hearts that believe in you. And, and by nature, God, they don't. And by nature, we don't like you. And, 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 and we want to be God ourselves. And so, God, the parts of our hearts that are dark or, or just filled with unbelief, would you love them and break them? And God, would you come with such power that, that you, you change us and so that when we walk out of here, we're, we're different. We're different than when we arrived because we were with you and we became more like Jesus. God, you know, you know my fears that there's just such an amazing story to tell. And there's such depths, but we got to understand it with such simplicity. So come. The things that I say that are my opinion or that are wrong, may they fall away and be forgotten. But God, the things that are true and contain eternal truths, would you use those things to make us more like Jesus? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Did you hear that little cheer? That was kind of cool, huh? I bet it's that kid with a LeBron James jersey on. You know, I don't know. Maybe not. Hey, let me ask a question as we start. How did we get here? No, no, seriously. How did we get here? I'm not asking if you jumped on I-4 and took Maitland Boulevard and how you actually got here. But, but how, do we, how do we find ourselves here in this part of the story? I mean, we, we've been looking at Genesis 1 and 2 and we realize that God is an amazing God and he made us in his image and he made us for himself. And you know what? God made us for paradise. I mean, and God made us to know and walk with him in the cool of the evening. How awesome is that? How do we get here? You know, we live in a world where our kids aren't safe in school. You know, we live in a world where our families aren't safe in the movie theaters. You know, we live in a world and even a region of the world that, that babies aren't safe in strollers being pushed by their own mothers. You know, we live in a world where babies aren't even safe in their own mother's wombs. How, how do we get here? I mean, do we not live in a world where it seems like most of the politicians are all about themselves? 
I mean, do we not live in a world that, that it's a dangerous world? I mean, nature itself seems to be set against us. We could still go up to uh, uh, New York in that area and see what Sandy and hurricanes have done uh, to that area. I mean, tornadoes, it's, it's not safe. So how do we get here? How could everything be so broken? Creation, our, our own lives, our own families, our own churches. I mean, how in the world can we get in such a mess? And how do we get so addicted to this world? Are, are we not? I mean, are we not addicted to the junk of the world? I mean, we're hedonists. We, we long for pleasure in this broken world. And we go to this world and we put our lips upon her and we drink deeply from its brokenness and somehow think that the world is going to make us okay. I mean, we're, we're, we're materialists. Uh, we try to find our identity and our purpose in the stuff that we own. That somehow the stuff that we own are going to give us significance. I mean, how do we get to this place. We're lovers of money. We love money more than we do our neighbors. We love money oftentimes more than we do our God. We're, we're a society that is just crazy addicted to sex. I mean, the stories that I receive weekly, I mean, I just want one week where I don't hear of another child addicted to porn at a younger and younger age. How in the world did we get from paradise to here? You know, according to the Bible, and this is, this is, this is, according to the Bible, you ready for this? We got here because of the actions of one person. Because of one person's actions, he ruined it for us all. Because of the actions of one, paradise has been lost. But before we just sit there, and we got to go there, there's some really good news because the Bible also teaches us through the actions and the obedience of one, all has been regained. And paradise has been found. It's amazing. That's the story we're about ready to enter into in Genesis 3. So turn with me in your Bibles. We're going to see how we got here, how all was lost and we're also going to see the hope of how all could be found. This is a, uh, a story that's about a long time ago. It was written a long time ago. But because it's God's word, it's for you. Listen, you're here by design. And God wants to tell you who you are and who he is through this amazing story. It might be familiar to many of you. For some, it may be the first time we've read it. But hear the story that we call the story of the fall. Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, hey, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? What a liar. God never said that. The only thing God says is you couldn't eat from one tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. God never said that. He said, don't eat it. So we see the perversion of God's word already. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. For God knows that when you eat it, eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. Knowing good and evil. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, 
And then it was a delight to the eyes. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was there. And who was with her. And he ate. And the eyes of both of them. Well, they were open. But they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I've commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman you gave me to be with, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, well, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And the Lord said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the fields. And on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And he says, this is the first hint of the gospel in verse 15. Let's really focus here. And God says, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, which represents Satan. I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman. And between your offspring, your seed, and her offspring, or seed. The woman's offspring, or seed, he shall bruise your head, a fatal blow, and you, Satan, shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. And all the women said, Thanks, Eve. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And all the women said, Thanks, Eve. To Adam he said, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife, and you've eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. But it's by the sweat of your face you shall eat the bread. Till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust. And to dust you shall return. And all of us say, thanks, Adam. The man called his wife Eve. Because she was the mother of all the living. And really it was that hope of that seed to come, by the way. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. There was a sacrifice. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he shall reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim of a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree to the tree of life. Let's pray. Oh God, shine light. We got to get this. Shine light so we understand. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. 
All right, do you remember the time in school when your teacher, and I don't know what was up, but she really wanted to kind of bribe you to do the right thing. And so she made this proclamation. Remember the junior high days when she said, pizza party is going to come on Friday. We are going to have a pizza party on Friday. All you have to do is be good students this week, okay? So this week, what we want you to do is be good students. Turn all of your assignments on time. And if you are good and you do what I require of you, we are going to have a pizza party on Friday. Why did we care so much about that? But I'm telling you, it was like, yes, pizza party, Friday. We'll probably get cold pizza that tastes about as good as a box, but we're going to love it. It's going to be a pizza party on Friday. And then there's that kid. There's that kid who, you know, just blows it for everybody. Somehow couldn't shut his or her yapper. Couldn't turn in the right assignment at the right time. And with seemingly disdain and a little bit of joy, it's been announced that no pizza party on Friday. It's been ruined because of one. And if you happen to be at Perry Junior High during my days, let me apologize. I'm sorry, all right? (laughs) But really, isn't there something profound about that that wants us to rail against right now and say, that's unfair. I mean, wasn't it the exact words that came out of our mouth at that time? That's unfair. We should not be held responsible for the actions of one. And we taught everybody in the class to loathe the one instead of love our neighbor. Is it fair? Is it fair that we're represented by one? I mean, seriously, let me ask you a question right now. How do you like it? How would you like it if you are represented by another? You and I rail against it saying, no, 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 I want to represent myself. Why would it matter what one person does? Well, according to scripture, it's amazing. According to God's word, the way God interacts with us, this is God's plan, not mine. You got an issue with it. You got to take it up with him. But according to God's word, there has always been one who represents us. And the one who represents us, listen, his success is our success. And his failure is our failure. How in the world can that be? And how can that be right? We're going to uh, look at some bad news. But before we uh, get to the really good news, listen, there's going to be good news. We've we got to get to the bad news first. The first thing is this. This is the outline in your bulletin. There's one who represents us all. It is true. No matter who you are in this room, you right now in front of God are being represented by one of two atoms. What in the world does that mean? Let's look to God's word. God's word will tell us what this actually means and bring light to that passage in Genesis 3. So turn with me to Romans 5. Romans 5, it'll be on the screen as well. We're going to look at the verses 12 through 21. Now listen, this is, this is tough stuff. Lean into this stuff. It's, it's really, really important and amazingly good. And so God is going to tell us some, some, some truths that we got to sink our teeth into and, and, and let our lives be marinated in, Okay. So let's look to uh, the book of Romans and see how God says it is actually one who represents the all. Romans 5, verses 12 through 21. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that man's Adam, that's that's where it started, we read that, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, it's like a disease, because all men have sinned. 
For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. It's Moses. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam, the first one to sin, and Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was, listen to this, who was a type of the one who was to come. Let's stop for a minute. First of all, you may want to say, wait a minute, Jeff. It sounds like Eve sinned first. Why is God talking so much about just Adam? Well, if you remember when we read uh, Genesis 3, that Adam was there. Adam was there, and when that Satan, when serpent confronted his wife, his job was to say to the enemy, get out of my wife's face. I'm here to protect her. I'm her head and covering. You cannot talk lies to my wife. Get out. That was what Adam was supposed to do. Adam's supposed to keep the garden, keep it pure, and keep evil out. And yet he failed, even with his own wife. And he sat silently, like most men typically do, and just let this whole thing unfold. And let his wife be deceived. I mean, he was right there. Here, honey, take a bite, too. See, it's Adam's silence that I think is the first sin. Not doing what he's called to do, but together they both fell. But did you see what it says in Romans? It says that Adam was a type of one to come. So now we should see that that the story in God's word is going to revolve around two Adams or two types. How are Christ and Adam similar? In all of creation, there's two similarities between Adam and Christ that are very, very profound. Of all the people who have ever lived, only Adam and only Christ were sinless in their creation. That's why we have to have a virgin birth with Jesus. Both of them were holy. Both Adam and Jesus were tempted by Satan. Adam fell. Jesus didn't. And so he's telling us that uh, death has come through this one Adam, but there's one who will come uh, who will give us hope. Verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespasses. For if many died through one man's trespasses, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound for many. I listen to the times he says grace, mercy, and this is how God's grace is seen in Jesus. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass, that's, that's Adam, brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. We'll unpack that in a second. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through the one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass, Adam's trespass, led to where we are now, led to the condemnation of all men, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abound all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also may reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's what it's saying. Because of one sin, death reigned. Because of one sin, everything was broken. Everything. 
the world was, was, was ruined in many ways. I mean, it no longer became safe. It wasn't safe to hang out with one another. Adam and Eve had to cover themselves. They, they didn't feel secure next to each other. The world was no longer safe with holy God. They had to hide. I mean, the world became an unsafe place. And here's what reigned. Death reigned ever since that moment of sin. It was like hanging over every story. The final laugh, the final trump card, death. But Jesus says, I've come to restore and give life. And so life will reign, not death. It's amazing. It says this, in Adam, all are condemned and all are declared guilty. In Adam, in his sin, here's what's happened to us. His corruption and brokenness has been passed to us just by having babies, just by filling the earth with image bearers. His corruptions are corruption. Here's the deal. Every child is born broken. Every child is born a sinner because that corruption has been passed. Do we believe it? Come to the nursery. I mean, you could be around a kid for like three minutes and realize there's something broken Mine, 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 mine. I mean, they think they're the center of the world, the center of the universe. It's all about them. There's something profoundly broken. Where did that come from? You, eventually Adam. But here's what's ridiculous. I mean, it's kind of crazy. Do you know what the Bible tells us? Not only do we get his brokenness. You ready for this? It says that we get his guilt. Someone said, not fair. This, according to God's word, is when he messed up and became guilty and had shame before God, His guilt is your guilt. That God will look at you and say, not only are you corrupt, you're guilty. You say, whoa, that's not right. That's not fair. How in the world can I be guilty because of him? I do believe that Adam perfectly represented us. I think if you were in the garden, guess what? Same result. You're not going to be better. I truly believe that's God's plan. And that's all of us. He perfectly represents us. But we get his corruption and we get his guilt. And if you can't buy that, you can't hear good news. Because that's the bad news we got to embrace and got to let ourselves understand. That we're broken. This world's messed up because of one man's sin. And we are all guilty as charged. But then Paul says there's such goodness. Because there's one who's like that first Adam but he, unlike him, obeyed. And in his righteousness, we are justified. Two words, condemnation, you're guilty. Justification, you're not. You're declared not guilty. So here's what scripture is saying. In the work of Christ Jesus, holy God can look at us and make a declaration saying, no longer guilty, no longer guilty. I mean, completely free. As if they never sinned. But there's more. This is amazing good news. Not only are we declared not guilty. You ready for this? We're declared righteous. Beautiful. Holy. How in the world can we be righteous? Just like Adam's guilt was placed on us. Ready for this? Jesus' righteousness is imputed on us. And now we are free, we are his, we are forgiven, we have been made beautiful, and that's the reality he's laying out. In one person, you own his corruption, named Adam, and his guilt. In one person, if you are in Christ Jesus, you are made not guilty and beautiful in his sight. Wow, what good news. The one who represents us all. That's either Adam or it's Jesus. All right, let me ask a question. How many of you had kids singing this morning? 
All right, good job, head singing kids. If you had kids singing, let me ask you a question. If you were, you were here as a parent or grandparent, did you look at anybody other than your own kid? I mean, seriously. I mean, you just look at your own kid. I mean, you'll glance at the other kids just to make sure they're not as cute and they're not doing something crazy and funny you want to miss. But really, you can't take your eyes off your own. You can't. I mean, you kind of fixate them on them. And the party that's cheering for them is probably saying, don't mess up too bad. You know, the father can't take his eyes off his only begotten son. He can't take his eyes off him. It's just beautiful. It's amazing. And he loves all of his creation. But the scripture will tell us that there were basically two sons of God. There was a son named Adam who messed up. And, man, when he looks at him, he just sees corruption and guilt. But there's another son, the only begotten son, the eternal son. When he looks at him and he sees him singing the choir, guess what he sees? Joy and righteousness and everything that's right and pure. And here's the reality. God right now is watching you and you are one of two sons of God. You are in Adam and his corruption remains and his guilt remains. And listen, you've messed it up enough. Your own. Or you're in Jesus. And you're not guilty. And you're righteous. And that's the, that's the, that's the hope of the Bible. That's the story of the Bible. That the obedience of one could secure life for us all. In Genesis 2, in Genesis 2, verses 15 through 17, God puts his arm around uh, Adam. He says, now listen, here's the deal. I've made you in my image. I've made you to rule and reign over all things. I'm going to give you a Sabbath rest. I've given you a great wife in marriage. Everything is great. And now here's the deal. You can't eat this. Eat everything you want. Have a great time. Tend this for me. Work for me. But you can't eat this one forbidden fruit. And if you do, you're going to die. Now, he's walking with Adam. He's saying, now, Here's, here's our relationship with you. Here's my covenant with you. If you live, if you obey, you will live. God says this. He's holy God, right? And he's basically saying, for you to stay in my presence, for you to stay in my garden, for you to stay in my temple paradise, you got to obey me. Why? Because God's a terrible rule maker and he's really angry with us? No, because he's holy. And he wants... Adam to know there's something that needs to happen even in paradise. He's got to know that he's got a God he's got to serve. And he says, now, Adam, if you, if you live, if you, if you obey, you will live. Here's the reality. If Adam obeyed, I don't know how long, but if he obeyed, and he would have earned life for us all. We would have all said, great report card, Adam, we all have life. But if you disobey, death will now reign. We know the story that he disobeyed and death came. It's called, it's called the covenant of works. But here's really, really good news. You've heard me say it before. You gotta hear, press into this. All that God requires of man, listen, all that God requires of man, God actually provides for man. All that God requires of man. You know what God requires of man? Perfection, <laughs> holiness. You know what he says? If you wanna live, you gotta obey. All that God requires, God provides in man. God becomes man. The God-man, Jesus, comes and obeys the Father so that God doesn't have to say Genesis 2 was just kind of a, huh, sorry about that. Genesis 2 reveals the holy character of God. We don't live before him without perfect obedience. But all that God requires, God provides. All that God requires, God provides. The God-man, Jesus, came the one that was like Adam, he came, and you ready for this? He obeyed the Father, and he obeyed him perfectly, perfectly. Everything the Father required of us, Jesus has done for us, and here's the really good news, now he represents us. 
The one, the obedience of the one that could have secured life for us all. Adam messed it up. Jesus restores it. The sin of the one that ruined it for us all. I mean, could you, did you see what happened in the garden? The sin that messed it all up? It was Satan coming and saying this lie. I'm going to paraphrase it uh, as quickly as I can. He says this. Your life is better in rebellion against God than it is in submission to God. Here's what he says. And this is a lie that we are so prone to listen to. God doesn't want the best for you. Paradise and an unbroken relationship with him is not enough. God's holding something back. He's got something behind his back that he doesn't really want you to know. And the rest of the world knows it. It's the good stuff back here. So submitting to God is not going to bring you life. Rebel against him and find your own life. Death. Being in mission for God is not for you. I mean, God has created you. Yeah, but listen, be on your own mission. Make life your own. I mean, make a name for yourself. Do it the way you want to do. God just doesn't want you like him. Don't be in submission to him. Don't be on mission for him. We rebelled. Death came. And the sin that ruined it all. It's amazing. It cursed everything. Why do we live? How do we get here? Because of our sin. All of it. Did you know that creation right now groans to be set free? I mean, this whole thing has been messed up because of our rebellion. But even in the midst, here's here's how gracious God is. Even after we sin, even in the midst of God pronouncing judgment, even when God's going to say, okay, here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to go down. You got to hear this. God can't talk about condemnation. He can't talk about judgment without talking about mercy and forgiveness and reality that he's still going to be for us and help us and rescue us. In the midst of him saying that there's a curse that's happened, he says, but there's a promised seed to come and there's a rescuer that's going to make all things new. It's going to restore to us everything that is lost. What an amazing, gracious God. He can't even proclaim judgment without giving mercy. And the change of a relationship to Adam, he said, okay, Adam, you're going to live if you obey. And now he says, okay, Adam, if you believe, you'll live. Now, obeying is going to be important, but really the whole thing is going to be based on, do you believe me that I'm going to provide one for you to rescue you? What did he promise? In Genesis 3.15, you ready for this? He promised a seed. Kind of interesting. He promised a seed to come. He said that a seed of a woman, and we, we, we follow that seed through Scripture. It's been promised to Abraham, and it's eventually going to show up in Bethlehem, born of a virgin. The seed that was promised, it would come and kick the backside of Satan and crush his head. The seed that was come and reverse all of the curse and to make all things new. The seed that was to come, his name is Jesus. It's all about him. And the reality, God's promises is listen, there's a seed that's going to come and he's going he's to fight your battles and God's battles. And he is going to be the king of kings and he is going to be the Lord of lords. And he is going to open up paradise. In Genesis 3.21, we not only see that there was a seed, there was also a sacrifice. What does God have to do for sinners like us? He's got to shed blood. It doesn't tell us specifically, but he says an animal was killed because they were covered In the skins of a sacrifice, do you see the beauty of foreshadowing? Do you know that there's no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood? And do you know that the seed would come? He himself would be the sacrifice. He himself would lay down his life for his friends. He'd bleed 
so that we could be made right. Oh, what an amazing God. He would cover our nakedness and our shame from a holy God. And here's what he covers us with, his own righteousness. What an amazing God. The promise of the one who will come to regain back for us all that has been lost. That promise of a seed, the promise of a sacrifice, the promise as far as the curse is found. Which Adam do you represent? Again, God's looking. He's, he's with us. And he's, you, you are being represented by one of two Adams, according to Scripture. And if you say, I'm trying to do it on my own, you're represented by the first Adam. Which Adam represents you? Do you know that you can never remove the curse or find paradise on your own? Do you know that now it's not what you do, it's what you believe? It's believing that Jesus did send a seed, that Jesus did send a sacrifice, and that he was good enough. And our relationship with him is now based on his actions, not ours. Is that not good news? And our standing is secure in him. Which one are you? If you are in Christ Jesus, you are a new creation. And here is the challenge for you. Live your life. Not my, I just, I just heard this from another pastor. I give him credit if I can remember who it was. Live your life unlearning Adam and learning Jesus. You and I, by nature, are going to wander. And by nature, we're going to be rebellious. We have to unlearn all of that rebellion and submit ourselves in obedience to God. We need to put on Christ. We need to be imitators of God's own son because we are dearly loved children We now got to live our lives in a radically different way in obedience to the one who is the seed to come, who was the sacrifice to come, and now live our lives in him, knowing that the Father is ridiculously excited about us in Christ Jesus. Learn to be like that second Adam. Learn to be like that Jesus. Feed on him, imitate him. Why? Because paradise is found in him. We can taste it now. We can taste paradise, even in the midst of this brokenness, even in the midst of this curse that still remains, even in the midst of the junk. Having a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have tasted and entered, beginning to enter into paradise. And there's a day coming, my friends. There's a day coming where he will be with us and all the tears will be removed and all of the curse will be done away with and life will truly reign as it is supposed to reign and we will be there in paradise if we are in Christ Jesus. But until then, there's some work to do. But the only paradise we can find is in him alone. I love the fact that he's come so that we can truly have a party It's a lot better than a pizza party. He says, I've created you for paradise. You want to know why things hurt in life? Because you were created for more. You want to know why in your best day it still stinks sometimes? Because you were created for paradise. You want to know why you still have some hurts and fears? Because Adam is still, the residue of Adam is still in our lives. But do you know why you long for more? It's because of that second Adam Jesus who's come to set us free. Let us pray. Father, Thank you for providing everything that you require for us to live before you. Everything that we lost, the relationship with you, paradise, Jesus has come to restore. Only in Christ alone.
can we stand before you. Only in Christ alone can we have life in you. Father, I pray for anyone here who is not in Christ Jesus, that today would be the day that they realize their only hope is putting their faith and trust in that seed that was to come that would defeat evil and Satan, that sacrifice that was to happen, that would take away our sins and make us righteous. Thank you that we don't have to be guilty. We can be free. What a gift that is in Christ Jesus, in Christ alone. We pray this in his glorious name. Amen. Let's stand to sing.